Welcome once again to Line by Line with Pastor Josh Hawkins. We are going to finish the first chapter of James tonight as we study God's Word verse by verse, which is something that we always do here. I hope you enjoy it. May God's blessing be on you. Yeah, all right. So we're going to uh, finish James chapter 1, uh, hopefully. I mean, I'm, I think I think we will. Finish James chapter one tonight, and then uh, and then move on. Of course, oh, well, uh, we'll probably just finish James chapter one, and then we'll move on to James chapter two next week. I hope you're uh, everybody's with us tonight. It is Tuesday night instead of Wednesday night. This is the first time that's going to happen because our emotionally healthy discipleship class starts tomorrow, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but, uh, obviously if you, you can watch this anytime after it goes out, but, um, just, you know, it's going to go live Tuesday nights at seven 30 from now on. So anyway, let's pray and then we'll dive in and finish off this great chapter. There's such great stuff just in the last few verses of this chapter. So I'm excited. <sighs> let's just give ourselves a second to be calm and to open our hearts to the activity of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are here, that you are at work, that you are present with us, and you're speaking to us. You're saving us. I pray that as we, uh, as we as we go through these last few verses of James chapter one, that uh, you would open up your word like fresh bread to us, that we would hear you, and our hearts would be filled with uh, your voice. That the word that is able to save us would move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, okay, so we are going to begin in uh, verse 21. So we just finished. 19 is... Well, I'll start reading at 19, but we're going to start studying at 21. So, my dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, 
and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Amen and amen. Okay, so. Um, I love that verse that I read at the beginning, but that's just an important verse. That's that's one that I would think about getting tattooed on my arm so I could see it all the time. Uh, uh, everyone must be quick to hear, so to speak, slow to anger. But we talked about that last time. So we're going to start with verse 21. Therefore, because of everything that I just said, okay, because of how everyone should be quick to speak or slow to speak, quick to listen, um, and uh, slow to anger. Um, rid yourself of all moral filth and evil. I think in this day and age, there's often the thought that uh, repentance is no longer necessary to be a follower of Christ. And that couldn't be further from the truth, friends. <laughs> repentance is absolutely necessary to be a follower of Christ. Repentance is the beginning. Repentance is where we start. Repentance is where is our jumping off point. We have to begin with a recognition that we're living our lives in a way that leads to death and a recognition of the invitation that comes from God to turn our lives around and to point our lives towards him and to receive all the life that comes from that. Um, that we would be welcomed into the flow of life that comes from God. Uh, it requires repentance. And I know that a lot of, a lot of times, uh, I don't know, a lot of salvation messages, maybe even I'm, maybe even I'm guilty of this, want to, will focus on the, on, on the fact that, um, you're being forgiven, that God loves you. You just need to say yes to him. Um, and, and, and maybe skate over the idea that this means your life needs to be different from now on. You're making a decision to say yes to God and to, to let him begin to change your life. And James makes no bones about it. Jesus didn't either. Uh, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil. I love that. It's, this is, and also in the original Greek, the, the tense of this verb of ridding yourself um, means once and for all. Okay, so uh, it, it, it literally means that I am, I, am, I am making a choice right now that I will no longer, my life will no longer be connected with moral filth or evil. Um, the, lots of interesting ways of translating these words in the Greek, but you get the gist. The idea is, I am going to choose to be an imitator of Jesus, who is morally perfect, and who, and I am going to begin to let him shape me into an, his image. I want to be holy. God says to us, be holy for I am holy. Now that can be really, we can receive that word as kind of a scold, or we can receive that word as the gift of freedom. I always think of it like, um, you know, the, the woman who was, 
the woman who was trapped in adultery, and Jesus forgives her, and then he says, go and sin no more, right? Um, that was more than just good advice. When Jesus speaks, there is power within his words to bring about the thing that he is speaking. For instance, Lazarus, come forth. Okay, so uh, here's a dead man in the grave for four days. And Jesus, just by speaking his name and commanding him to come out of the grave, returns Lazarus to life. Well, it is that same Jesus who looks at the woman caught in adultery and says, go and sin no more. Oh, well, so the same power that was in Jesus' speech to bring Lazarus out of the grave is also in Jesus' speech to send us forth in holiness. Does this mean we're never going to make mistakes? No, it is a process that begins with repentance and repentance continues from this point forward. Uh, uh, Martin Luther says, all life is repentance. We begin the very first time that we respond to the gospel with faith and we say, uh, the good news is I don't have to live a life of sin and death anymore. And we're going to talk more about this as we get further along. But um, that the good news is I have been set free from the bondage of sin. So I can, I can walk holy. And walking holy is not a bummer. It's life and joy and peace. And the word of God has come to me. And it has enabled me, like Lazarus out of the grave, to come out of my sin, out of myself, and to live in new life, life beyond death, life that's untouchable by death, life that doesn't come from me, but comes from the word of God. Uh, repentance begins our journey and repentance is the name of our journey. And he forgives our sins, but we have to turn from them as well. Why would he forgive if we fully intended to continue being exactly who he was? We, wouldn't, we don't need his forgiveness to continue to be who we were. We need his forgiveness to become something new, to leave death and sin behind and to live into the life of God. This process, it is a process. And it is ongoing and it's going to continue for forever, forever, uh, even on into the afterlife. We are still going to be growing closer to Jesus and being formed into his image. We don't uh, we, we don't automatically just get zapped with a holy ray after we die. Wouldn't that be nice? But no, I don't think that's true. I, I don't have scriptural reason to believe that that's true. We are still on the journey. Because this journey isn't just about uh, behavior. It's not just about the surface level of our lives, the things that we do with our bodies, the things we say with our mouths. It is about those things, and it will change the things we do and the things we say, but it goes much deeper than that. It goes miles deeper than that, below the surface, to the deep things that move us and the thing and and the ways of thinking that inform our way of seeing the world. It goes to how we feel and what we desire. 
the salvation that Jesus offers isn't just about cleaning it, straighten up and fly right now. I'm just going to, you got to clean up your behavior. Um, yes, our behavior will change, but that's just the surface level. Jesus is wanting to change all of us, body, soul, mind, and spirit. He wants to change the whole of who we are and, and our relationships with each other. That's what Jesus is after. A human who's restored to full humanity, a human who's been given back our job, our role, which is to image God into the world. So this, that's what Jesus is up to. That's, that's the journey that we're on. And it is, like I said, ongoing and forever. And James says, humbly receive the implanted word. Humbly receive the implanted word. So Jesus wants to uproot sin and death from out of us. All he wants, he wants to pull that weed out of the soil of our hearts all the way down to the roots so it doesn't grow back. But he wants to plant his word, his life-giving word, in at that depth as well, in the implanted word. He wants the roots of his word to go deep into our hearts and to have purchase so that fruit begins to be to, to be born. So Jesus wants to change our behavior, but even more important, he wants us to change the reasons for our behavior. To, uh, and he wants to get to the root of our lives and not just the fruit. And so James says, humbly receive that implanted word. Be that tilled soil where the, where the seed can go down deep. James obviously is a follower of Jesus and he knows the teachings of Jesus. And one of the teachings of Jesus is the four kinds of soil, right? There's the, there's the hard packed soil of the path and the seed just lands on it and the birds come and take it away. There's the stony soil where the seed goes in, but it only goes so, so, uh, so deep. And so when the sun shines, uh, the, the plant withers away. And then there's the, uh, there's the soil that's full of weeds, so that uh, the, the seed is goes in, but then it gets choked out by the weeds that are already planted there. And then there is the tilled soil, the, 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 the soft soil that the seed can go down into that soil and produce much fruit. Um, and Jesus talked about that as four, you know, four ways of the human life, you know, that there's, there's people who are just hardened and the word just bounces right off of them and the enemy takes it and, and nothing comes of it. There's people who they receive the word at first, um, but, uh, it never, the root never goes down deep. It never goes beyond a surface level. And so no fruits ever created there. There's people who have so many weeds in their life, so many other voices, so many other things that crowd out the word of God. And so it has no chance to grow and bear fruit. But Jesus is, encourages us to be soil that's prepared for the word of God to go in and to, to have deep root in us so that as it grows, there is a beautiful harvest that comes that multiplies that word back out into the world. That's who we are called to be. And James is saying, be that soil. Humbly receive the implanted word. I, there, I love this, 
that phrase, humbly receive, um, there is a, uh, a submission that's required. I remember a few years ago, I was wrestling with God about a thing and, and God was, he said, he said to me, I'm going to do this in you. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to give this to you. This is a gift that I'm going to give to you. I don't remember exactly what it was, but he was like, be still and receive this gift. Uh, this isn't something you can do. I have to do it in you. And my participation in it in that moment was to, to was not passivity like, well, good, I don't have to do anything. There was a an openness I had to maintain. And I think this is this is a picture of faith. So and the picture he gave me <laughs> was a baby bird. You know, when the mom comes and lands on the nest, the baby bird just opens its mouth wide and, you know, they're really loud. They're they like tweet, you know, really loud. <laughs> if you ever have a, a nest with baby birds in it anywhere near you, they're just they just raise this raucous noise and they open their mouths big and wide. And there's something about the color and shape of that mouth that that makes it it's irresistible for the mother not to put food there. And and. The Lord was like showing me that. It was like, this is what I, I want you to be like that baby bird. Like, you aren't going out and getting it. I'm I'm going to bring you the thing that you need. And I'm going to put it in you. But you need to be in that place of receptivity. That place of of mouth wide open. I'm, I'm ready to take in what what you want to give me, Jesus. And, 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 and living in that place of receptivity. That's a, that's difficult. In in uh, my sermon on Sunday, I talked about paying attention, and the, this is what I'm. This is the same thing. This is what I'm talking about. It's it's this idea that that we live with softened hearts. We live with our hearts prepared to receive the life giving word of God. Humbly receive. That's why Jesus says things like, um, that's why Jesus says things like, it's, it's difficult, it's difficult for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because the one who has prospered in this world system is somebody that's learned to go out and take what they want, um, to learn to go out and, and apprehend their desire. And in Christ, uh, in Christ, that's not, how it really works in Christ. Again, it's about the dance. It's it's about participation, cooperation, partnership. It's about stepping with him, moving with him, that humility to let, to let him lead the dance. This is how it works. And he's saying, humbly receive the implanted word. We step to the leader of the dance. It's a partnership that saves us. He says, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, just my heart is filled with joy. This word is able to save me. This word is able to save me. It's able. It's powerful. It's 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 capable. It, this word isn't weak. This word isn't broken. This word isn't uh. It it is it is it's trustworthy. It, uh, it's able to save me. It's a sturdy place to be. It's something I can I can put my full weight down on it, and it's not going to 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 break it can hold me uh have you ever sat in a chair and had it break under you it's one of the most humiliating experiences of the human life i remember i went to a birthday party of a friends and and they had all these lawn chairs outside and i i sat in one of those like fold up chairs you take to like a baseball game you know and and i sat in it and instantly the whole thing just goes like and i just collapsed onto the ground under the ground on my back and I was so so embarrassed because it was like I must be the fattest tub of lard ever in the history of the world this chair can't even hold me up that's just telling me right there and it was in front of all my friends <laughs> and they're all like they they love me so they weren't they were laughing but they weren't being mean but I was mortified and uh and but we're being invited to trust the capability of God's word, the sturdiness of it, the efficaciousness of it. It is it. This is able to save you. It's like a doctor handing me medicine saying, if you take this, you will get better. Uh, that's great news. Now, my son, Aiden, I'm going to tell him a little bit. He hates medicine. And he doesn't really believe that it works. And so anytime we're like, go take some medicine, he's always like, no, I don't know. And it's because he doesn't believe it's able to save him. He just doesn't. He doesn't believe that that medicine is going to help him any. Uh, um, and so he doesn't want to take it. And I understand that. I understand if I didn't think it was going to help me, I wouldn't want to take it either. Excuse me. But James is holding out the word of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, this word is able to save you. Trust it. If you will receive this word, it will save you. That is huge. That is massive. That is so important uh, and so beautiful and so lovely Oh, and we need it. We need something we can trust in this world. We need something solid. We need something that we know is going to work. And James says, this gospel will work. It will save you. Now, I want to talk about this idea of being saved. Because I hate that word. Uh, I don't, I don't, I hate it. I don't like the word. I'll leave it at that. Let me tell you why. Because it's past tense. I am saved. When people say that, I am saved. It's past tense. And the New Testament picture of salvation is never in the rearview mirror. It's always something that's happening now. You aren't saved. You're being saved. I'm not saved. I'm being saved. 
I'm being saved right now. That's that's what's happening to me. I am being saved by God's word. I'm being saved by uh, by what Jesus did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross is in the past, but its effect on my life is in the present. It's right here. It's right now. It is for me. It is active for me in this moment. Salvation is something we participate in. It's something that's happening now. And it isn't something that was done to me. It is something that I that I participate in. Okay, now, all the Calvinists that are watching this, and I, there probably aren't any, but they're all kind of freaking out right now because the the Calvinist idea of salvation is that all of the activity is on God's part. In fact, in in a double predestination kind of five-point Calvinism kind of thing, and if you don't know what that is, don't worry. You don't need to know. Um, they would actually say that we don't even... In no way at all are we involved in our salvation. God saves us. We don't even... Uh, we, we don't even like agree to be saved. God decided who was going to have fit, saving faith. And, and if I'm one of those, it's not because of me. And, um, I have serious problems with that idea because of verses like this, because of the, because of the way that the new Testament describes this thing we call it salvation. But I want to go further than that. What are we being saved from? Because that's the big question. What are you being saved from? Now, there was a day in my life and a time in my life when my answer to that question would have would have been hell. I'm being saved from hell. And that's true. I am being saved from hell. But it's also, that's reductive. It's less than the whole truth. Okay? Because the whole truth is that I'm being saved from sin and death. I'm being saved from the power of sin uh, in my life and in the world. I'm being saved from that. Sin and death are the enemy that Jesus is saving me from. He is eradicating sin and death out of my life, little by little, piece by piece, in such a beautiful way that I'm not damaged in the saving. Um, he is, he is taking me on the journey at the speed that I can walk because he's just that patient. Man, I wouldn't be, but he so is. He's taking me on the journey out of sin and death at the speed that I'm capable of walking with him because it is the walking with him that he is interested in. Uh, and, and so is that going to save me from an eternity in hell? Yes, it is. And that's great news. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. But when we stop at I am saved from hell, it has nothing to do with what's going on right now. And salvation is a present reality. It's something that's happening in this moment. It's something that is happening now. Uh, I am being saved. And uh, every, every day, the activity of the Spirit of God within me is saving me 
little more and a little more and a little more from sin and death. And it will change the way that I exist in the world and it changes who I am. You see, hell, what hell is, hell is sin and death stretched out for eternity. Hell is sin and death active in a human soul forever and ever and ever, getting worse and worse and worse forever and ever and ever, which means hell gets worse and worse and worse forever and ever and ever. And that's the reality of hell. The, 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 it's about being pulled deeper and deeper and deeper into the black hole of sin and death and slavery to that thing. But Jesus has broken us free and he has said, he has said, no, I, I'm, I'm releasing you from the, the, the pull of the gravity of sin and death. And I am pulling you towards myself. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it as uh, an infinite journey into non-being. So if God is the source and ground of all being and is the most real thing, the most, the thing which has, you know, God's name is I am that I am. So he's the self-existent one. If God is a total self-perpetuating being or existence, then the closer we get to him, the more real we are as well. And we gain our reality from our from our proximity to God. I hope this isn't too deep. Uh, maybe I can send you swimming in the deep end for a few minutes. God is is existence itself, and as we approach Him, as we move toward Him, we become more and more real. But as we and and that's what salvation is—we're being drawn into what God spoke into the universe as you and I. Oh, that's just exciting. Um, but hell, sin, and death are the opposite. We're moving further and further and further away. We're becoming less and less and less existing. Less and less and less real. Less and less and less. We're becoming more and more of a ghost or a shadow or a non-nothingness we're moving towards nothingness which is why God's calling us into his life I am being saved day by day and it's God who is saving me and he's saving me from sin and death Okay. Uh, I was reminded of uh, John 15, which is one of my favorite passages. It's another tattoo passage. I'm not actually going to get any more tattoos, probably. But, you know, if I were. Uh, <laughs> John 15, 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you remember james said humbly receive the word which is able to save you jesus is talking about this too the word that i spoke to you has cleansed you 
And he says, humbly, uh, he says, you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So the word has cleansed us. The word has the word has broken the power of sin over us. But in order to live the life we were created to live, the, in order to to be saved by that word, we have to abide in it. We have to continue in it and let the life that comes from the word of God continue to flow in and through us. And in that way, God will be glorified in and through us. And we will be saved more and more and more and more every day. Um, and uh, I know that I'm right about this because the next verse is, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So James is, James is saying, this is what it looks like to humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. It looks like being doers of that word. By being a people who live according to the life that was spoken out of the mouth of Jesus, according to the gospel that we first heard, which set us free from the power of sin. And uh, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, if this sounds familiar, I'm going to read the whole thing. And, and, and see if it doesn't sound familiar to you. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Does that sound familiar to you? Because it should. Because Jesus said it first in Matthew chapter 7. Uh... uh and the, the cool thing is that James was written before Matthew was, most likely. So James isn't quoting Matthew. James and Matthew are both quoting Jesus. And these are this is a teaching of Jesus. Don't just hear my word and then go away saying, wow, wasn't that nice? No, you have to put it into practice. You have to be a doer of the word. You have to participate in what God is doing in you. You have to Dance the dance. It wouldn't be much of a dance if the if one partner was dancing and the other one was just being dragged around. That's not a dance. We have to step with him. We have to stay close to him. We have to move with him. When he moves, we move. This is what salvation looks like. We are beginning to imitate Jesus. We participate in God's saving work. The Apostle Paul says it like this. I am working out my salvation in fear and trembling. I believe this is in uh, Philippians. For it is God who is at work in me, both to... Uh, I can't remember. It was. We'll just stop there. I'm working... Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you. There's two workers. There's me and there's God. And we're working together. And what we're doing together, what are we doing together? We're saving me. I have to dance with him. I have to walk in his footsteps. I have to imitate Jesus in this way. Um, I love this This. 
metaphor that Jesus and uses and James echoes of the the man who looks at his face in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Uh, because so often Jesus' words are a mirror to us, right? They kind of hold up a mirror in front of our faces and like, we're like, oh man, um, that's not good. But that mirror does you no good if you don't fix your hair, if you don't, if you don't change what you see. See what's wrong and fix it. It's like the doctor coming to you with a with a uh, a diagnosis of a disease and you're like oh no that's terrible and then you leave and you don't hear what he thinks what that doctor he or she thinks we should do about that sickness all we ever all we get is the diagnosis and we never get the medicine if all we ever do is hear the word and we don't ever do it then all we ever all we get all we ever get is the diagnosis the bad news and we never hear what the doctor would say to us but this is how we're going to fix it right does that make sense would you do that would you walk in just to have him look at you and say you know you've got an infection and then you walk out and you say oh i have an infection and and the doctor's like but i i'll prescribe you antibiotics for it and then It'll go away. No, we, we missed that part. We left before he ever told us what we were supposed to. Or or even worse, let's go even let's take that metaphor and turn it just a little bit. He gives you a prescription, but you never take it to the to the you know to the drugstore. You never you never take it to Walgreens. He gives you the prescription, but you never take it to Walgreens. So you got this prescription in your hand and you're like, I have a prescription. I'm going to be okay now. But you never take it to Walgreens to get the medicine. That's what James is saying. <laughs> Guys, you're carrying around a bunch of prescriptions, but you are but but you don't have the medicine. You're not taking it. You're never going to get better that way. Salvation is enacted. You know, later on, and we're not there yet, but you know, one of the most famous verses in James is faith without works is dead. And this is that same, this is that point. <laughs> this, this conversation is that point. Faith without works is dead. We have to be a people who are staying in step with the spirit, who are dancing the dance of discipleship, who are, are, are moving when he moves, that we're actually turning that prescription in getting our medicine and taking it every day. That's the other thing that drives you nuts is when people take three or four pills and then they're like, I'm good because they feel a little better and they don't take the rest. Well, no, you're supposed to take it till it's gone. <laughs> take the rest of the medicine because just because you feel a little better, that means the medicine's working, but it's not done. Keep taking it until you're, you're really not sick anymore. Okay, that's enough metaphors. I've mixed 18 metaphors now in, a, in, in just a couple minutes. <laughs> we must participate in God's work. The one, okay, so verse 25, but the one who looks intently. I love that. No, I'm going to investigate the perfect law of freedom. I'm going to keep looking. Sometimes it's hard to see what the mirror has to show us, right? Sometimes we avoid the scale because we don't want to hear the news. 
about how much we weigh now. <laughs> right? Uh, but guess what? You still weigh that much whether you step on the scale or not. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. The perfect law of freedom. So often we think of God's commands, of God's laws, of God's prescriptions as a cage. Well, that means I can't do A, B, or C. Or a death sentence. I'm such a horrible person and it tells, all the law does is tell me I'm a horrible person. You're right. But we're not just looking at the law. We're, we are, we have received the word from Jesus that we can be free, that we can be better, that we can move forward. We aren't doing this alone. Not only does Jesus not want, I mean, Jesus wants us to dance with him. Uh, he, he doesn't want us sitting on the sidelines watching him dance. And he's not sitting on the sidelines watching us dance either. We are dancing together. We are working together. We're not just empty soil with no seed in it. We are soil and seed. We are able that there is something of God's life that has been given to us in the word. And that will release us to freedom. This is the perfect law of freedom. And we must look intently into it. We want to be transformed. You know, I used to, I used to kind of get, you know, I would hear preachers and, or, or read a, a Bible verse or something and it would convict me and I would be like, man, I hate that. Dang it. I'm a terrible person. Oh, bad me. That's not it at all. No, no, no. Imagine that you've been locked in a prison and then someone shows you this door is open. That's what it is. That sense of conviction is not condemnation. God's not saying you're evil and I'm angry with you and I hate you. No, God is saying, God is saying, why are you living in that space? Be free. You can be free from these repetitive, destructive behaviors, from these thoughts that won't go away, from these emotions that are so corrupted and twisted and broken. You can be free from these things if you'll let me do the work, if you'll participate with me, if you'll dance with me, I, you will be transformed. That's the journey we're on. But he, he says, the one who looks intently, intently. I love that word because it's because I love the word intention. Intention is a choice. I'm not accidentally. You don't get saved accidentally. It doesn't happen. Uh, I, I heard uh, one of my favorite theologians of the right now is this man named Chris Green, and and he put out a pod. He puts out a podcast uh, every week or so, and. Uh, a week ago, the name of the podcast was No One Drifts Into the Gospel. And that's the truth. We choose to say yes to him. And we choose to stay. So that word, intently. I'm choosing to focus on the word and be transformed. I'm entering with intentionality into this dance, this journey, which I'm not supposed to call it a journey anymore, this dance with Jesus. 
I'm choosing it. And I'm choosing it over and over and over because that's the next part. And perseveres in it. If you don't quit, you'll win. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. It's not going to go perfectly. Never has, never will. It is It is a learning curve. It is a process. But keep showing up. Be intentional about, about putting the word of God in you. Be intentional about investigating it and letting it investigate you. And stay. Stay in it. Don't push, don't pull back because it's painful. Lean in to what God's doing. And trust that his word can save you. This person will be blessed in what he does. And then James gets even more specific. And he'll talk about this more later on too. But he says, If anyone thinks that he's religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Boom! That is a classic James line. James doesn't pull punches. James doesn't... He's not interested in being nice. He's, he's the Bible's drill instructor. He, he comes at you and says, Listen up! If you think that you can be a follower of Jesus and have it not change the things that you say, you're an idiot, you're a fool, your religion is useless, and you are deceived. The things that you say must change. Being a follower of Jesus means that this thing has to come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Woo! We'll talk a lot more about that later on, because James has a lot more to say about the tongue and exactly how dangerous this thing is and how beautiful it is when it comes, when, when even our tongues, even the words that we say become a part of the dance. Yeah. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father, this is the verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To look after orphans and widows. So who are orphans and widows? Does he mean specifically orphans and widows? Yes. Does he mean only orphans and widows? I don't think so. See, orphans and widows were people within in James's culture who had no way of providing for themselves. Children can't provide for themselves, so parents need to provide for them, but orphans don't have any parents. And widows, in this day and age, it was very difficult for women to work a trade that would make them enough money to live. That was very, very difficult. Um, and there wasn't welfare, and there wasn't any of the things that we have now. If they didn't have any family, they would starve. And the church is called to to be 
the people who step in and help the helpless. Lift up the downtrodden. Bring in, accept, and, and, and receive the outcast. That's who we are. And James says, if you want to know if your dance with Jesus is working, if you want to know if you're being saved, it's really easy to tell. Because if you're being saved, it changes the way you talk. And it changes the way you feel about those who cannot help themselves. If you're being saved, it changes the way you talk. And it changes the way you feel about those who cannot help themselves. Those who need help from others. If you're able to look at those people and not be moved by compassion, if you're able to look at those people and not act, even though you really don't have a ton to share, then James would really question how much the Word of God is active in you. Because when the Word of God is active in you, when you're dancing the dance with Jesus, it changes the way you talk. And it changes the way you feel about the marginalized, the hurting, the poor. Changes, changes that, the way you see them and the way that you postured towards them. So these are, these are the litmus test for is the word of God active in my life? Are my words changed? And how do I feel about those who are hurting? Um, I don't want you to worry that, like, well, I still have trouble with my words. Or it's hard for me to have compassion on people who are suffering. That's okay. But it's probably a sign that you need to be a little more intentional about pursuing the things of God. Um, see, we've already been forgiven. And this is a process that's taking us towards being more like Jesus. So lean in. It's just, if we aren't seeing that, that evidence of a changed tongue and compassion... If we aren't seeing those evidences, then it's time for us to sign up again, to, 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 to come back to the word and to let it do its work. Okay. Um, well, and then he says, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. To be stained by the world means that we believe what the world has to say about things and not what Jesus has to say about them. We believe what the world has to say about things and not what Jesus has to say about them. Um, I didn't mention that when I... 
but uh, but that's also another evidence of the activity of the word in our lives. So it needs to change how we talk. It needs to change needs to fill our hearts with compassion. And it needs to change the way we think about everything. Amen. Lord, help us. Lord, have mercy. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. We are sinners. But you are our Savior. And you have come to our rescue. So we look intently into the perfect law of freedom. And we do what it tells us to do. Lord, we repent again today of our failure, of all the ways we failed to follow you. And we ask you for the help of your Holy Spirit. Teach us to dance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, love you. Have a great week. I'll see you next time.